Hey, gang, this week's episode is brought to you by OldSchoolShirts.com. Hey, check them out. You like defunct teams and leagues and T-shirt form? Well, you'll find them there, but a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Do you remember a radio station of the past or perhaps a mall that you used to go to? All kinds of great cultural and sports memories can be found at the great folks at OldSchoolShirts.com. Promo code GOODSEATS for 10% off all of your purchases. And now... Here's our show. Trocheck back around with 12 seconds. Fox on it for the Rangers. Trocheck down low. Up the boards, Panarin. Seven seconds. Towards the net. Puck is loose. Tabanajan looking for it. Fox is there. Time winding down. Comes to Miller. He fires. It's blocked. Miller shoots. He scores. Just before the buzzer. DeAndre Miller beats the buzzer by about one tenth of a second. And the Rangers have tied the game at one. Around Haskinen moves to the net. Panarin shoots. Saved by Ottinger. Puck now played by Zibanejad, walks in front, tripped up, puck is loose, Panera with it, feeds Fox, backhand shot, he scores! He scores! Rangers win! Adam Fox in overtime! The Rangers defeat the Stars! An incredible, unbelievable, highlight film fashion. Rangers win it 2-1 in overtime. After Keandre Miller tied the game in the final second, Adam Fox wins it in OT. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Hey now, how is it going, everybody? Your pal Tim Hanlon here, and it is, of course, Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast that is devoted to... What used to be in professional sports. Thanks for coming on by. We know you got a lot of choices out there in podcast land, and we appreciate you doing it this time for us. And uh, let's light the lamp, shall we? We're going to get into all kinds of sports. It's not just hockey. No, no. When Kenny Albert's in town, it could be one of a zillion different sports. And uh, we're honored to have him this week uh, in uh, the uh, lead up to uh, his brand new book. That's the excuse. It's called A Mic for All Seasons. Uh, and uh, it uh, comes out, depending on when you're listening to this here episode, uh, either tomorrow, we drop on uh, October 9th, so the book is available on the 10th of uh, October 2023. If you're listening from that day onward, it's available now. What are you waiting for? It's uh, wherever good books are found. Uh, you can pre-order it if you want, if it's a day ahead. Uh, and uh, yes, of course, you can go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com to search up this episode number 320. Uh, and uh, you'll find a convenient link to this book. And as you'll hear, well, certainly the, the clip there sort of gives you uh, just some evidence of, uh, of the talent uh, that Kenny uh, brings to uh, the microphones and to many a broadcast for, geez, almost 30, maybe a little bit more than 30 years now. It's hard to believe. He still, still seems like a young spring chicken, if you ask me. Um, but that's because, uh, you know, I've, I've grown up in a, in a world of, of Alberts everywhere. Uh, Marv obviously being the, uh, uh, the father of Kenny. And uh, 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 Kenny also has two famous uh, sports casting uncles in uh, Messrs. Steve and Al Albert, who uh, all combined, right, have uh, been uh, part of the American sports broadcasting landscape for dozens of years. And uh, Kenny is absolutely uh, carrying that mantle uh, 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 phenomenally well. And depending on the day, the week, the year, or whenever you're listening, uh, it could be a myriad of sports. And, and uh, perhaps one of the most um, 
not only uh, capable and ubiquitous voices out there, but um, uh, frankly, uh, just built for just any sport you throw at him. Um, hockey, probably, maybe I would suggest maybe his first love, uh, certainly where he got his uh, his uh, his professional start, as we'll talk about with the uh, Baltimore Skipjacks of the old American Hockey League, if you remember that. Um, that clip that you just heard uh, just shows you just how in form Kenny is. Uh, that was from, um, I guess, an MSG broadcast. Uh, I don't know if it was a simulcast. I think it was a radio uh, call of the New York Rangers against the Dallas Stars uh, just this this early this year, uh, January 12th of 2023, uh, as heard on ESPN 98.7 FM in New York, uh, and soon to be, by the way, the former uh, FM signal, because I know that the uh, the station owner is now going to revert back just to the AM signal. But I digress. Uh, that's a, a great example uh, of of the excitement that uh, that Kenny brings to uh, not only Rangers hockey on a local level, but a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, uh, Kenny does uh, you name it, and he is either doing it or has done it. Certainly in New York, uh, well known for uh, broadcasting Nick games on MSG Network and Ranger games on um, on uh, the ESPN station there, WEPN. Um, uh, but also MSG on television, uh, but uh, has for the many years, for almost uh, almost thirty years, I think it is now, has been with the Fox Sports family uh, since pretty much uh, the inception of uh, the debut of Fox Television in the United States uh, at the ripe old age of twenty six, joining Fox Sports, and from the get go covering things like uh, the NFL. Uh, Sunday games, the NFC package, formerly at CBS. Uh, you can hear Kenny's dulcet tones every Sunday uh, to this day, but also has been part of lots of different broadcasts on Fox, including the NHL when it was on Fox and the glowing puck. Do you remember that? We get into that conversation. Of course, uh, Kenny has been part of uh, Major League Baseball's uh, offerings on the Fox network. And uh, that's just a, a, just scratching the surface. Uh, you can hear him. Uh, on uh, various Turner Sports uh, broadcasts of of the NHL, he's been part of uh, those national broadcasts wherever those have been over the years on NBC or Versus or Outdoor Life Network. If you remember those, we get in all that kind of stuff and some great, interesting little uh, tidbits uh, uh, that you might not know. Also along the way, especially in our little uh, niche of uh, forgotten sports, the Washington Bullets will make a little appearance. Uh, you may remember the Staten Island Stallions of the U.S. Basketball League uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, well, Kenny wasn't even a professional at that point. He was still kind of uh, moonlighting from um, from college and, and doing all kinds of stuff uh, on the side and uh, was part of that mix as well. Um, the Skipjacks, of course, uh, in the old AHL in 1990 when he made his first full professional debut um, but he, if you uh, want some interesting trivia, how about the uh, World Basketball League? If you remember um, uh, that from the mid-90s, there are a couple of broadcasts in Kenny's past from that. Uh, the Washington Bullets, no longer known as the Bullets, but the Wizards, of course, uh, make an appearance. And uh, we even get into uh, perhaps the grandest of all trivia uh, questions you might be asked about the great Kenny Albert. Uh, who is the uh, U.S. American sportscaster? Uh, that has done not one, not two, but three, 3D television broadcasts. Well, you'd be talking to 
Kenny Albert, that's for sure. We'll talk about that story. 3D broadcasting. You remember that from the early part of, I don't know, I guess it was the maybe about a decade ago when 3D was rumored to be the next big thing in television broadcasting. Uh, Kenny will tell us a, a story or two about uh, how he became the king of 3D, shall we say, in sports broadcasting. But that's, that's again, just scratching the surface. There is, you go to Kenny's Wikipedia page and you can see literally since in earnest in 1990 and frankly a, a bit earlier than that too, informally, uh, just a career timeline that spans uh, all kinds of touch points in hockey, in basketball, in football, um, uh, the, the Olympics, lots of Olympic coverage, uh, college sports as well, um, even uh, horse racing and and a whole bunch of other other things. And it's a, a fascinating ride. Uh, and and he's only uh, in his mid fifties, so uh, I would say that Kenny Albert has uh, uh, quite a long lifespan to go. And uh, sports on television and on the radio are better for it. And that's uh, our conversation this week as we talk about or talk with the Mike for all seasons. He is Kenny Albert coming up in just a few moments time. Again, that is the name of the book. Uh, the subtitle is called My Three Decades Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB and Olympics. Uh, it's got a couple of forwards in there by people like Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier and, and a whole bunch of other uh, great uh, sports luminaries in their way in with their uh, their kudos for for Kenny. And again, it is available wherever good books are found, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this show as we drop it on October 9th of 2023, it will be available tomorrow, the 10th. If you're listening to this episode on the 10th or beyond, well, it's available now. And either way, you should run, not walk to your favorite bookseller and either pre-order it or order it in earnest now, of course, you can get it from our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode number 320, my goodness, with Kenny Albert. You'll find a convenient link or two uh, that will whisk you away to Amazon, and we'll get a couple of shekels of referral love. We appreciate that. And uh, probably the quickest way you'll ever be able to get this book, and you get it in hardcover or Kindle fashion uh, by doing so. And um, uh, you will enjoy it. Uh, as I did in preparation for this episode. And uh, how about a taste of that now? Well, shall we? Let's get into our conversation with the great Mike for All Seasons. His name is Kenny Albert. Please, as always, enjoy. Tell me, uh, just maybe kind of to scene set, I mean, you know a little bit about the background of this silly little show, but I, I am fascinated. We've had a number of, of broadcasters uh, on the show in the past and, uh, to a person, um, the, the, the word that comes to mind is hustle. Um, there is a, uh, an eternal hustle, obviously in your story for sure, as, as we'll get into, uh, specifically, but why is it the nature of this business that requires so much of a hustle, if you will, to do, uh, so much in terms of travel and all that kind of stuff. Plus, but but frankly, jobs and many times simultaneous jobs of which you are perhaps undisputedly the king of. Right. I mean, I guess I learned it at a young age growing up in a sportscasting family with my father and two brothers, his two brothers. Um, they were always hustling. And, and that's a great word. Uh, I've never really heard it put that way. But um, you know, they were traveling and and doing multiple games, multiple sports. So I probably learned it at such a young age. And then um, when I was in high school, I was real fortunate. A local cable station came to my school to film a girls basketball game. And I volunteered. They didn't have any announcers. And 
Uh, the producer gave me the opportunity over the next two and a half years uh, to broadcast between 75 and 100 sporting events all over Long Island, high school, Division three, college. And that's probably where it started for me, uh, the hustle, the travel. And then even in college, I, I tried to do as much as I could, whether it was on the air, internships. So um, during my collegiate years, I was calling back basketball games at NYU. I was playing on the club hockey team there. I was working as an associate producer for Mets Extra, Howie Rose on WFAN radio. I was keeping stats at Nixon Rangers games and football games. So just wanted to really get as much experience as I could. And then that morphed into the multiple sports, the travel, uh, trying to be in two places at once uh, during the broadcasting career, I guess, over the last 30 years. But but it also speaks to, and again, aside from folks who have achieved somewhat of a rarefied air in this business like yourself, um, the majority, the vast majority of of folks who inhabit the broadcast booth uh, in pursuit of uh, sports broadcasting excellence. I mean, it's it's almost, I think, a, a similarly an indication of the, I don't know, unevenness or uh, sometimes rootlessness not Ruth, but perhaps ruthlessness too, uh, of the industry, media, right? It's not always the most stable gig per se. And there's constant change in the executive halls and rights going from place to place. I got to think part of this is just the nature of the the industry and the beast too, no? Right. And I'm, I'm real lucky in that I've been at two places, Fox and MSG for uh, 30 and 28 years respectively and nbc for a while more than a decade on the hockey side olympics and and now over at tnt and also the networks i've worked for um have rights to multiple sports so i've been real fortunate in that respect but you know as far as the initial part of the question i, I just love doing it it's 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 what i enjoy i love the preparation i love the actual games and you know, would I rather be sitting around doing nothing or calling a game? Probably calling a game. So, um, you know, it's just I, I, I tell people that there's a lot of work and a lot of travel, so much preparation, but I never actually feel like I'm working. It's fun work. So very fortunate in that regard. But also uh, to have great bosses who allow uh, the jigsaw puzzle of a schedule, uh, maybe missing an event here and there. Not often, but it, it does happen on occasion. But um, it's just something that I always wanted to do from a young age, from when I started calling games into a tape recorder and then through those high school and college years and, uh, calling minor league hockey in Baltimore back in the 1990s. is just something that, uh, to me is a lot of fun and never seems like work. All right. I want to, I want to get to that, that part in a second, but, um, I, I was uh, just blown away by a sentence in the book. Uh, you basically have said um, and we have to believe you that this is true, that you've never missed a game because of travel issues. Can that be true, given all of that you do and have done? Uh, knock on wood, that that is true. Now, there, there are there are some games. So football on Sundays uh, obviously takes priority. And then I'm usually at a Turner hockey game on Wednesday night and then um doing radio for the Rangers and and 15 or so games for the Knicks on the TV side every year. Now there are probably a few that um, when we sit down and go through the schedule in September, there are probably a couple that would be impossible to get to. So, so those aren't even on the schedule. So I might miss a few um, just based on uh, what we go over prior to the seasons, but 
of all the games that I've been scheduled for, uh, again, knock on wood, I've never missed one due to a travel issue. Missed one due to a sore throat back in 1996, I think, or a Rangers radio game in Washington. But that was really the only one uh, that I missed due to an illness, even through the pandemic years when I was calling games both on site at Madison Square Garden at NFL stadiums and then a lot of games in studio off monitors and probably took about 150 COVID tests uh, through those years and never even had to miss a game during that time. Uh, that has to be something of uh, a level of insanity that is not shared by many people in, in, in your business, right? I mean, you must be looked upon it on some, on some level besides the consummate professional and, and the, the true Mike for all seasons as somewhat of a, uh, I wouldn't call it an oddity, but uh, a rarity, right? Because I, I, I just can't imagine given all the odds just seem so ridiculously against it um, and not to jinx it, but uh, it's, it's admirable and something to with luck and, and persistence and preparation and uh, good health and all that kind of stuff. But I, that's pretty amazing to me, given there's so many opportunities that that you could your streak your streak could easily be broken. And there have been, you know, some occasions where um I've also missed games, you know, for my daughter's high school and college graduations, for example. So I'm not professing to uh, you know, be in the category of Lou Gehrig or Cal Ripken by any means, <laughs> but um again, very fortunate that health wise and travel wise, uh, there haven't been too many games that I've been scheduled on that I've that I've had to miss. There are there are there are occasions where somebody might look at me and wonder how I've actually physically gotten uh, to where I am at that moment. You know, I remember during the 2014 and 15 hockey playoffs, there was some crazy travel in the conference final round in 14 between New York, LA, Montreal, Chicago. And then the next year, uh, similar with New York, Tampa, Anaheim and Chicago. And I called a triple overtime game in Anaheim one night. And the game started on the early side, 8 Eastern, so it was 5 p.m. out there on the West Coast. And I made it to the morning skate in Tampa the next day. And uh, Marty St. Louis, one of the Ranger players at the time, had watched the game the night before, and he saw me, and he said, how, how in the world did you get here? So uh, there have been some funny instances where I feel like I'm in two or three places at once. Yeah, but I'm sure it's not glamorous either, right? I mean, that must have been a situation where perhaps the network maybe scrambled a private plane for you, or I, I got to think most of your stuff is commercial and and average Joe. Yeah, I, no, ninety nine percent of it is commercial. There have been a couple of times where where it has not been, but uh, no, that was a red eye from uh, LAX to my to uh, to Miami, and then a connection to Tampa. So, not all glamorous. Sleeping on planes, you know, taking naps, getting two or three hours here and there, but. Uh, you know, again, I'm, it's not heavy lifting. I'm not sitting at a desk doing something I hate or manual labor. It's it's uh, a job that I absolutely love. So if I have to take a couple of early flights or red eye flights here and there, it's uh, it's certainly not a big deal. All right, we'll come back to process in a minute, but uh, I, I, I let's go back to your your early years, right? And um, you know, I guess the I guess the sort of sarcastic question is: Did you really even have a choice? in terms of career, given given your upbringing and and how many people in your household, both directly and and the two uncles, were involved already and, and deeply and successfully in the business? Right. I get that question often. Um, I got a tape recorder for my birthday for my parents when I was five or six years old and started announcing games into the tape recorder. I set up my bedroom like a, like a radio studio. I had the desk and the bed in the middle and the TV on the other side. But 
not once was I ever told you have to do this. You have to go into broadcasting. You have to call games into the recorder. It was just something I grew up around and always loved to do. And I did a lot of sports writing as well in high school and college. So um, had a lot of experience back in the day. And I think that's part of the reason why I decided to write the book. I knew that I enjoyed writing and wanted it to be in my own voice, my own words, my stories. So did not use a ghostwriter, wrote it myself with some help from my wife and kids as uh, sort of co-authors and editors. And they came up with some story ideas, but did it primarily on my own. But uh, no, getting back to the original question, there was never any pressure, never was told that I had to do this. It was just something that I always loved. You know, there, there are, you look at any profession, lawyers, doctors, uh, you name it. There, there are thousands and thousands of people in each profession, I'm sure, around the country, around the world, who uh, went into their parents' profession just because they were around it. They absorbed by osmosis. And uh, you really learn at a young age. Um, you know, I felt like I had an advantage because I tagged along with my father, with my uncles, uh, to various games, to the WNBC studios in New York. I would do stats for them and would learn just by sitting in the broadcast booth next to the announcers and in the production meetings and listening in uh, to the banter between the, the production truck and the announcers throughout the game. It was just such an advantage, uh, you know, probably better than anything I could have learned in a classroom at that point. So was your dad, were your uncles surprised, not surprised, uh, encouraging, um, befuddled when you uh, started to, uh, I guess, ideate literally that you were going to uh, do this for a career? And I guess the other question is, when did you literally know that th that you could on your own do this for a living versus just doing what you were doing in, in school and college? Right. They were always encouraging. Um, you know, I was probably on the quiet side as a kid, aside from when I was doing the games into the recorder. So I never came out and said, this is what I want to do. But I always knew in my own mind, I think growing up, um, really always knew that this is what I wanted to do. And throughout high school and college, getting so much experience, both at Cox Cable and then at WNYU Radio and with some of the internships and other jobs that I had, um, you know, always hoped that it would happen, thought it would happen to some extent, never to the extent that it did happen. My goal was to do hockey on the radio. And my first job was in Baltimore. I was hired by a team in the American Hockey League, the Skip Jacks. And those were two years that I would never trade in for anything. Just between the experience, the reps, uh, the practice, 80 games a year, that went a long way, made some great connections and wound up getting hired by the Washington Capitals the next year in, in 1992 and eventually by uh, MSG in 95 and, and by Fox sports in 94 to do football and then hockey. Um, so always wanted to do at least hockey play by play. And then, uh, due to the crazy circumstances when Rupert Murdoch made an unexpected bid on the NFC package in 1993 for the 94 season and Fox wound up hiring a bunch of young broadcasters at the time. And, uh, none of us ever thought that we would be calling NFL football at the network level, let alone at the age of 25 or 26. I was 26. Joe Buck was 25. Tom Brenneman and Kevin Harlan were in their late 20s, early 30s. We were all hired by Fox at the same time. And I'm really proud to say that it's year 30 for me. Joe Buck's had a Hall of Fame career. Kevin Harlan's had an unbelievable career. Uh, Tom Brenneman at Fox, 25 plus years as well. So 
uh, David Hill and Ed Gorin and George Krieger, they took a chance on all of us back in 1994 and, and hard to believe it's three decades later. And for me personally, it's my 30th season calling NFL games on Fox. All right. So, you, you know, the uh, sort of bent on this little show, right? So uh, a couple of of, of nits and and, and uh, divots, I guess, of, of forgotten teams and leagues and stuff. And and also, I think another sort of level of of, of uh, admiration, I guess, perhaps amongst your peers, uh, you perhaps have um, uh, dodged many bullets, I guess, from uh, literally and figuratively with the Washington team. But we'll get to that in a second. The uh, the um, uh, having to work for lots of teams and leagues and stuff that um, uh, have come and gone. I mean, there's a lot of people who have to put in a lot of uh, a lot of dues, not saying that you haven't, but um, lots of pitfalls and lots of, uh, uh, you know, uh, cul-de-sacs, shall we say, given trying to get as much experience as possible. I mean, uh, but tell me about the Baltimore Skipjacks, because that was really uh, pretty much your first sort of full time professional broadcast gig correct in the old american hockey league it was it was the first full-time gig i was real lucky again going to college in new york uh wound up filling in on some new york islanders radio pre and post game shows and that led to filling in on play-by-play for four games during my senior year in college uh that's in, by the way that's insane i mean right, pretty much unheard of amazing right? insane. Yeah, yeah. a lot of it was being in the right place at the right time and and filled in on these four games so at that age, most people who want to get into it, uh, their goal is to get a minor league job first and then use that tape to hopefully get a job at the major league level. Well, I had these four NHL tapes already and was able to send those around to minor league teams and, and wound up getting hired uh, by the Baltimore Skipjacks in the summer of 1990. Uh, met with the owner, the late Tom Ebright and Alan Rackfin and Jim Riggs, who worked in marketing and PR and I was hired to do the broadcast and really whatever else they needed, PR, sales, marketing, go pick a player up at the airport, et cetera. And it was my first time really away from the New York area. I grew up on Long Island and then went to college in Manhattan. So uh, those first two years in Baltimore, living on my own, uh, just getting invaluable experience, calling the games on the radio in Baltimore and um, taking the you know six, eight, 10 hour bus rides with the team. And I was around the same age as a lot of the players and, uh, my roommate on the road was our assistant coach, Barry Trotz, who's gone on to become the third winningest head coach in NHL history. So just a tremendous experience. There's a whole chapter in my book uh, about the two years with the Skipjacks and uh, just wonderful times down in Baltimore. And as I referenced earlier, made connections with folks at Washington, uh, with the Capitals and at home team sports and uh, wound up getting the next job uh, with the Caps uh, prior to the 92-93 season. Yeah, so in many respects, the Washington D.C. area a very uh, a fertile ground for for that kind of stuff. Home, tell tell us about home team sports because um, it's interesting because they were arguably one of the uh, first uh, real regional sports networks, which now seem to be uh, depending on which uh, arena that you're in, uh, market wise, uh, almost imploding. And and frankly, too, your, your skipjacks job came because uh, of a an interview with something called the sports news network, which I don't think I've ever heard of before a gig that you didn't get. And yet I think almost felt uh, relieved that you didn't. Right. Those weren't necessarily connected, but I did have an audition slash interview sports news network was not around for very long, but uh, they were a competitor to ESPN uh, down in uh, Arlington, Alexandria, Virginia, right out, outside of DC. And I wound up with an audition there right after college. And, 
Uh, fortunately, I did not get the job because I wound up interviewing with the Skipjacks and play-by-play was my goal. So that that all worked out very well. Home Team Sports uh, was one of the original early uh, regional sports networks, very highly thought of around the country. They did the Capitals, Bullets basketball at the time, now the Washington Wizards, uh, Baltimore Orioles baseball. They had a terrific production crew, great announcers, and uh, Jody Shapiro and Bill Brown uh, were the two gentlemen who ran the network, who took a chance on me in 1992, hired me to do the Capitals games and filled in on Bullets games and Orioles games and did a whole bunch of college sports. So I uh, was there for three years, uh, thought I would be there for a long time, loved home team sports, loved living down there. An opportunity came up. Uh, with the Rangers and MSG, which was a really tough decision at the time because I really enjoyed what I was doing in DC. But, uh, you know, definitely uh, uh, think back to those days with, with great memories. And uh, I'm, I'm so, you know, uh, I'm in debt to Jody and Bill forever for taking a chance and hiring me uh, along with Lou Strudler at the Washington Capitals back in 92. And uh, then a couple of years later is when when Fox Sports uh first started with the nfl package and wound up moving back to new york and msg in 95 and i guess the rest is history but home team sports uh did such a great job uh you know they did the caps bullets and orioles for many many years and uh, have nothing but great memories i still have an hts blazer as well in my closet a blue blazer with the hts logo on it it's a collector's item All right, what's this? OldSchoolShirts.com. Fantastic. You've heard me talk on and on and on about the great folks and the great wares at OldSchoolShirts.com. Like the name implies, it's old school and it's shirts, and they put them together, see, into what they call OldSchoolShirts.com. It's like the name implies, but of course, we love them primarily uh, for their sports wear. You name the league of the past you name the team of the past the chances are huge that they're going to have more than one shirt and different color schemes for things that you may remember from the united football league or the major indoor soccer league or various flavors of the original xfl's plural or the federal league perhaps or maybe world team tennis or maybe it was the north american soccer league and on and on and on But, hey, it's not just sports. It's also great cultural touchstones and memories from the past. How about the officially licensed Evil Knievel connection? Connection? How about collection? Yeah, that's what he's trying to say. Uh, Various colleges. How about dead malls of the past? Ice cream parlors. Maybe even radio stations that you might remember. Hey, even there's a latest edition of the old, now old, Aloha Stadium commemorative shirt. All that kind of stuff and more. You will find at least a handful of shirts that you will just transport you back into your past and you will amaze and impress your friends at the same time. It's oldschoolshirts.com. And we got a promo code for you, of course. Let's save you some dough while you go there. And it's uh, promo code is good seats. Good seats. That's the promo code at oldschoolshirts.com. Promo code good seats or 10% off all of your purchases. Hey, P.F. Wilson and your friends at OldSchoolShirts.com, thank you for your sponsorship of the show. And now, back to our conversation. So tell me the, the transition, though, into the Fox thing, right? So 
Were you at HTS at the time? Had you moved to MSG by that time? Um, and and how? I, I I gotta think your surname didn't hurt in terms of getting on people's radars. But obviously, you were building a portfolio as well, and you had obviously had success calling games and stuff. Obviously, not in in football per se. Um, but how does that how does that magical opportunity happen? Because I'm I'm sure there were a ton of people with a ton of tapes out there chasing that one down. How did you and that right. crew that you just mentioned earlier kind of get the get get the shots and then get the get the gigs? No, you're right. Between myself, Joe Buck, Tom Brenneman, and Kevin Harlan, we all had fathers in the business, uh, three of whom were sportscasters. Kevin Harlan's dad, Bob, was the president of the Green Bay Packers. So it certainly helped get the foot in the door as far as an interview. Uh, but another aspect of the story is George Krieger, who was one of the executives at Fox at the time. Uh, when they first put together a sports department, his son was a high school lacrosse player. And back then there was no internet, uh, not a lot of games on cable or satellite television, which had just come into play. And uh, he somehow knew Jody Shapiro at home team sports and had asked Jody for some tapes of college lacrosse games. And it turns out I called one of the games that, that Jody passed along to George. So he heard my commentary on a lacrosse game and we all were flown out to L.A. for auditions. There were many other play-by-play uh, -play and color analysts as well. My audition was with Hall of Famer James Lofton. We did our uh, rehearsal game that day together back in uh, March of 94. And again, I'm sure we all did have help getting our foot in the door uh, because of the last names. But uh, once we were hired, we had to prove ourselves. And um, again, very proud that it's season number 30 for me at Fox, uh, Joe, Kevin, Tom, uh, great careers since that first year. Uh, Kevin was the only one of the group who had had much experience calling football with the Kansas city chiefs on the radio side. So, um, that, that was how it all started back in 94. Um, when, um, you, you moved over there, how much did the Fox sports, uh, brain trust at that time, I'm assuming that's David Hill and, and, and friends, how much did they, uh, have, if you will, in terms of sports other than the NFL that they had just picked off from the, the NFC package from, from CBS and how much, frankly, was it, was it more just kind of <laughs> a promissory that, uh, that other sports literally were going to come and, and fill into the fold. I mean, I think people don't even realize that for for a, a, a bit of a time there that Fox Sports literally was just this NFL package. Well, it's funny you say that because at the first Fox NFL seminar in the summer of 94, we get together every summer now for 30 years, all the announcers, the production groups, uh, the executives. John Madden in front of a room uh, filled with about 200 people raised his hand and said, why are we called Fox Sports? We only have one sport. This should be Fox Sport. And uh, football was the only sport initially. And uh, David Hill and Ed Gore and George Krieger, they hired a lot of the producers and directors from CBS who had experience doing football, uh, many of the color analysts as well. But slowly but surely, in 95, Fox signed up with the NHL. In 96, Major League Baseball. And then a couple of years later, horse racing. And then eventually college basketball, college football, soccer. So um, it all started with football. And for about a year, it, it should have been called Fox Sport, not Fox Sports. Uh, but right now, between Fox Sports, FS1, uh, so many different sports uh, on the various outlets. But it all did start with the NFL. 
were you just giddy when Fox got the NHL in 95 and the glowing puck at that? Oh, I was because I had been doing the Capitals and then I moved over to the Rangers in 95 and it was really the first opportunity to do hockey on network TV. I worked two games for ESPN two, the deuce the year before in 94. But when Fox got hockey, I was part of the uh, roster right from the start. Doc Emmerich and John Davidson were the number one crew and then Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti. And, um, you know, I was part of the depth at the time with some other great announcers. So, uh, Fox had the NHL for five years, great memories, uh, called, you know, a number of games every season, regular season and playoffs, the glowing puck, David Hill was ahead of his time. There was some resistance to it. My feeling was if it helps the viewers follow the puck, why not? And now 30 years later, you watch, you know, golf, baseball, so many other sporting events, you see technology similar to what the glowing puck was back in the late nineties. Yeah, I uh, I almost wonder if um, if something along those lines comes back. And I think, too, when you look at streaming uh, and various forms of interactivity and how consumers, uh, especially young males, like to enjoy the games with perhaps the game in the background and the, you know, the screens and the trash talking and the whatever on in the foreground. Uh, I, I cannot imagine that, you know, and clearly with, with chips and all that kind of stuff, that stuff like this couldn't make a comeback of some sort, especially perhaps for that casual fan, which still I think kind of bedevils a little bit the uh, the NHL experience for most. I think it's a it's probably the ultimate of the big four, big five. Um, you know, it's sort of that sort of regional passion and and it still has that sort of, I don't know, that sort of a uh a difficulty, I guess, transcending sometimes to that sort of national consciousness level. And I think the technology has certainly helped, whether it was the glowing puck back in the late 90s and then the advent of HD TV in the early 2000s. And now with uh, some of the you know, cameras and other technology that has been introduced, it certainly enhanced uh, the viewing for the fans sitting at home. All right. Well, we skated. I did literally and figuratively right into that one. Right. So the 3D thing. So I, you know, coming into this conversation. Uh, I thought for sure I had uh, uh, discovered a, a unique piece of information that nobody else had, that you were the only person, I think, to have uh, helmed two major network 3D broadcasts in your career. Uh, 2009, the Bowl Championship Series uh, for Fox, as well as the, the uh, All-Star Game for the Major League Baseball in 2010. But until I read your book, of course, alas... You are a triple crown champion, so to speak, in the realm of 3D. Number one, what was that third game, if you remember, hopefully? And number two, what made you the go-to guy for this 3D thing that sort of came and went? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I was just in the right place at the right time within the various networks that I work for, but uh, did work three 3D telecasts. Now, we called the game pretty much as we would normally. Uh, although we did make reference, we wore 3D glasses during the opening segment. Uh, but for the most part, it didn't change much on my end. Um, you mentioned the the BCS championship game. It was Florida, uh, Tim Tebow against Sam Bradford, Oklahoma, uh, down in Miami. So called that game uh, for the 3D telecast. Uh, the baseball all-star game uh, in 2010 in Anaheim. Mark Grace was my broadcast partner. Will Ferrell actually recorded the starting lineups for that 3D telecast. And I have a picture with him. We're both wearing the 3D glasses. So uh, that's a memory that that's certainly entrenched in my brain. And then at Madison Square Garden, once called a 3D game between the Rangers and Islanders, which was shown in the theater next door to a couple of hundred 
people in the business on the technology side. So uh, I had three of the four covered. Never did basketball in 3D, but uh, football, baseball, and hockey are on my 3D checklist. So, so it was a live closed circuit next door to the uh, then Felt Forum, was it? Right, the old Felt Forum, which is now the Hulu Theater. Um, the game was broadcast normally, you know, as it normally would be on MSG Network. But uh, Dave Maloney and I, we do Rangers radio together. But uh, that night we did the 3D broadcast, which was uh, closed circuit right next door at the theater. Interesting. And I guess the, the idea was to what uh, it, it, others were doing it and why not uh, sort of experiment with it and see perhaps if it's something that could be brought to local regional games. Right. Exactly. It was on an experimental basis at that point. That's uh, that's again, that's 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 to me, that's pretty interesting. Now, that said, though, with that kind of background, it almost seems like you could be uh, easily teed up for what I think is becoming kind of a, a phenomenon. And maybe we'll segue into into sort of the today of of sports is these alternate telecasts, right? These alternate broadcasts, obviously a lot of it was um, sort of jump started, I guess, by the pandemic and, and having people uh, chat in a chat box or, or, um, you know, uh, somehow have the game as a, as a sideline or as a, uh, as a component. And now, you know, to the point where we're seeing toy story executions of the NFL and the Nickelodeon game, the slime games and, and those all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm really curious. I mean, you're a classic, bread and butter uh, uh sports broadcaster you know and from the probably the uh the richest um most solid and and uh, uh revered uh, sports broadcasting family on the planet um how do you feel about these newer ways of presenting and or maybe in many cases uh interfering with uh, the broadcasts of the game with all this with all this stuff and extra commentary and stuff good bad and different I'm a big fan of the Manning cast. I started watching it uh, a couple of years ago, right from the start. Now, if you're a, a rabid fan of one of the teams playing, you're probably not going to watch it because they're not focusing on each and every play. So the rabid fans are going to watch the mainstream telecast. But I, I love hearing what the Mannings have to say. They're both such students of the game. They have photographic memories. Uh, they've had great guests on there. So, um, you know, if I'm not watching the game, from a, a you know, from the purpose of studying for my next broadcast, for example, where I have to keep a close eye on 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 the names and numbers and 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 the storylines, you know, then I'll watch the regular broadcast. But um, I really enjoy the Manning cast. I haven't uh, watched you know all of these alternate broadcasts. I know a lot have been done on college football and college basketball, but I think there's certainly a place for them. There are so many channels out there and avenues for these games to be broadcasted. So why not? If it helps bring in extra viewers to a to a given uh, channel or network, then I'm all for it. Even if you're you're the main uh, game caller of of the match, and uh, and you're may, people may not hear your your uh, expert uh, commentary and and calls of the game, huh? Well, as long as they're still hiring us to do the game, then I guess it's okay. I wouldn't want our broadcast to go away for only, uh, you know, I wouldn't want that alternate broadcast to become the main broadcast if it's a if it's a sport or a network that I'm involved with, but um, you know, as an alternate broadcast uh, it's more work for everybody, for the production people, et cetera. So uh, you know, why not? I'm all for it in that circumstance for sure. Um, you mentioned uh, in the book that, uh, and surprisingly that uh, I think most people uh, in the sports realm would look at, at hoops and hockey as being perhaps the more difficult uh, sports to kind of cover because there is so much, 
action and in some cases, especially in hockey, your head's almost on the swivel sometimes. Um, but I surprisingly, you mentioned baseball is actually a bit harder. Uh, do you want to tell our audiences to, to why that is in terms of comparison to the others, given that you are such a uh, ubiquitous presence in so many sports? Well, for me personally, when people ask the question, they always expect me to say that hockey is the hardest. To me, it's the easiest, maybe because I've done it for so long. And uh, especially on radio for 60 minutes, the puck's in action. So you're calling the game. Basketball is similar, 48 minutes although there are more stoppages, whistles for fouls and uh, the ball out of bounds, et cetera. Football is the most rhythmic. It's one play and then 20 or 25 seconds. Another play, 20 or 25 seconds. Baseball to me is the most challenging because I only do between 10 and 15 games every season. So, um, you know, the other aspect of it is the ball's only in play for about eight or nine minutes a game. There's so much time to fill. Uh, hopefully you have a great color analyst with you. Now it has gotten... A little bit easier, I feel like, this past year with the advent of the pitch clock. Um, it does feel a little more like the fast-paced sports where you don't have a lot of time between batters and between pitches. So uh, that that certainly changed a little bit. Uh, but for me, that's the reason why it's more challenging than the other sports for how a play-by-play. I'm sorry, how much of an adjustment was the pitch clock for you? How long did it take you to kind of pick up the pace and keep up with it? Because it seemed like for a couple of weeks there in spring training, a lot of broadcasters had a tough time with it. Right, because I don't do a team on a regular basis. I, I did one baseball game in April, and then I started up again after the hockey playoffs ended in June. So I was able to watch other games, listen to other broadcasters, but uh, I'm sure it was quite an adjustment for those who are around the sport on a day-to-day -day basis. Explain maybe, too, your, uh, the, the differences between um, local versus national broadcasts, right? Because you do a hefty amount of both. Is there anything that you have to do uh, differently? Anything you have to psychically prepare yourself to kind of not do or or remember to 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 follow through on or or nuance differently uh, a national audience versus that of of a of a local team? That's a great question. Definitely, um, the football and baseball that I do those are all national games. Basketball I only do local, so it comes into play in hockey. I work the Wednesday TNT national games and then radio for the Rangers. So when I'm working a Rangers game on the network, whether it was NBC in the past or TNT these days, I do have to remind myself uh, to get just as excited when the opposing team scores uh, during national games, we're calling it right down the middle 50, 50. I know the local fans are used to hearing their local broadcasters, perhaps talk about their teams 75, 80% of the time, which I get because I do, local broadcasts as well, but definitely have to remind myself uh, when it's a national broadcast to call the game 50-50 as far as giving both teams an equal amount of, of time uh, during my call, during some of the stories I might be telling, and uh, to make sure that I get just as excited when the opposing team scores. And how about the proverbial radio versus TV thing? And is there any is there such a thing as a simulcast? I know people like Chick Hearn and back in the day, right, you know, used to sort of uh, it be it was kind of a staple of the of the the local broadcast thing, especially when you know times were tight, so to speak, at the the club level. But is it is it literally possible to do a simulcast? Um, and I don't know how many you've done of late or even in your past, but um, I got to think that's the ultimately most difficult thing to do because you're trying to satisfy two audiences at once. Right, and I don't think I've ever done one to be honest. But interesting. 
I, I don't think personally that you can satisfy both audiences uh, to the extent that you would want to uh, with separate broadcasts. Um, a number of teams have gone to simulcast in the various sports. Um, you're not talking enough for radio and you're probably talking too much for television. Um, radio versus TV, there is a big difference. On radio, you have to be a lot more descriptive. You have to give the time and the, the score a lot more often because the viewers can't see it on the screen on TV. You don't have to talk as much when you're doing play-by-play. You could leave uh, more time for your color analyst to come in and comment while the plays uh, going on. So definitely major differences uh, between the radio and the TV call. Okay. I'm not Richard Deitch and this is not the, the sports broadcast podcast, but I, I, I am fascinated with um, some of the questions, the types of questions that he asks around preparation and a process. Um, and I, I think it would be helpful for audience to, to know a little bit. I mean, you present yourself in the book as uh, I, you, I, you, with some, somewhat of a, some deprecation, call yourself an organized hoarder. And I think only in the best way, hopefully um, in terms of preparation and stuff. Um, but, it, but it's different, right? I mean, you, your NFL prep, right. Which is, if you will, a big broadcast at the end or the beginning of a week, right. Is, is kind of a different cadence and a different sort of setup than, you know, a midweek NHL game for the network and, you know, a, a more regular uh, paced uh, more, uh, uh, I guess more often scheduled local broadcast schedule for say Ranger games. Yeah. The preparation, um, that's something I do talk about in the book and for a typical football game, I start on Monday morning and it's probably 20, 30 hours, uh, between all of the work that I do on my own Monday through Thursday, uh, watching prior games, a lot of reading, preparing charts, going through statistics and other materials provided. Uh, by the league and by the teams and by the networks. And then Friday, we usually go to the home team practice, sit down with about four or five players and coaches. We'll do the same thing with the visiting team when they arrive on Saturday or occasionally the last few years over a Zoom call. Um, for a, foot, a football game, like I said, I start Monday morning. For basketball, hockey, baseball, I'm usually reading reading the clips from each city starting about a week before the game. Uh, those teams play a lot more, obviously, than the football teams do. So you're watching games during the week leading up to your game. I have a checklist that I follow uh, for each sport, and it involves, like I just said, watching previous games, a lot of reading, uh, preparing your charts, your spotting boards. Um, I do everything by hand by myself because I feel like you remember the information a lot more uh, that way. So uh, there's a lot of work, again, a lot of prep work, a lot of travel that go into it. But I look at it as fun work. I never feel like I'm doing something that, that I hate, you know, I'm not going to an office. Uh, I'm not doing manual labor, uh, you know, for eight, 10 hours a day. I'm, I'm watching sporting events. I'm reading about sports and um, it's what I've always loved to do. And I feel like the preparation is the most important part of it. And and what is it about the chart? There's probably it's nothing more singularly um, important and personal, I guess, to the, to the sports broadcaster than, the preparatory chart that she or he brings to the game. There's all kinds of different sort of methodologies and idiosyncrasies and personalized approaches and that kind of stuff. And I, I think it's probably fair to say this. There's probably no one that's the same when you compare them broadcaster to broadcaster. Um, what is it about that versus say some other form of either note-taking or, 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 uh, 
PR releases or, or news and stuff? I mean, what is it about the chart that is uh, so so essential, I guess, to so, so, so many broadcasters? Well, everybody does have their own method. Some look alike. Some look similar to one another. Uh, others are totally different. Color coding um, and... Right. You know, I'll use the color of the teams, for example, on my football charts, just because when your eyes look down, you see the green writing, it's the Green Bay Packers. And when you see the blue, it's the Los Angeles Rams, for example. Um, the charts have the basic bio biographical information about the players, their uniform number, name, height, weight, college, years pro, statistical information, and then uh, just some other various notes and tidbits. And um, again, my football charts look the same as they did 30 years ago. Uh, the hockey and basketball and baseball look pretty similar, haven't changed too much. But um, I don't like to have a lot of information in front of me when you're in the booth because you want to keep your eyes focused on the game, no matter what the sport is. But um, you know that you can glance down at it. I have all the information on this one chart from the thousands of pages that I've read and gone through during the week. Um, and I'll save them because I'll go back the next time I have a specific team and I'll use, I'll transfer over a lot of that information. Uh, some of it I may have used on a prior broadcast and uh, some of it uh, I never got the opportunity. I feel like I use about 10% of the information that I prepare uh, because you want to let the game really uh, tell the story and dictate which avenues you go. Anytime you ever lost it or uh, you you dropped it or for, or forgot your chart or or some other piece of information wasn't with you that you had to kind of thump for your way through on your own? Never lost it, never forgot it. There was one Rangers game in Edmonton where I realized for whatever reason I didn't bring an extra one. Um, I have them printed up uh, with – they look different, obviously, for each sport, but my hockey chart has boxes for the line combinations in the middle and there's a score sheet on the back and then on the front – is where I, I mark down uh, certain information, the team's records, home and away, upcoming schedule, last couple of games, the starting goalies, et cetera. One time I didn't bring one with me, so I basically had to recreate uh, my chart on a manila folder and it all worked out. But that's the only time I can remember that I didn't bring a blank one with me to fill out prior to the game. Well, and, and the uh, the uh, adrenaline alone must have uh, gotten you through all that, right? Because you're trying to remember every single piece of thing and then, and then, and then get on the air. So tell me, uh, well, let's, we'll wrap up with a couple of uh, quickies here. I, obviously, you have done and continue to do uniquely uh, multiple sports simultaneously over overlapping uh, seasons and that kind of stuff. How you keep your head and your travel and your statistical information straight, I'll never know. Are there any sports that you still would like to give a try? And are there just some that you just know that you're likely just not cut out for you game for anything i'm pretty much game for anything um you know as far as the per first part of the question you have to really just be organized and get ahead of things and like i said i start preparing about a week in advance for each game i do take photos now of my hotel room in case i forget sometimes three or four hotels in a week and was i in room 362 last time or was that today so i'll take a photo of it on the phone um you know as far as the different sports having been involved for so long in, in the four major sports in the U S football, hockey, basketball, and baseball. I've also done, you know, way back in the day, some lacrosse and soccer and Olympic volleyball and uh, track and field. And I've done a lot of boxing as well. Uh, the one sport that I felt like I had no clue what I was watching was college wrestling, 
back in the mid nineties, working for home team sports. They assigned me to the ACC wrestling championships and I studied and I bought wrestling for dummies. And I spoke to Jeff Blatnick, an Olympic wrestler, and he was a big help uh, in the preparation, but I really felt like I had no clue once it started. Uh, but as far as other sports that I haven't done, um, you know, maybe tennis would be intriguing someday. I enjoy tennis. I play tennis. So that's one that I've never really had any, any broadcasting experience with, but aside from that, I've always enjoyed watching curling at the Olympics. I don't think I, uh, you know, I certainly am not an expert as far as the rules and the strategy, but, um, when I did Olympic volleyball, when I received that assignment a couple of years ago, uh, bought volleyball for dummies and sat down with our local high school volleyball coach and I said to her, please teach me the strategy, the history, uh, the rules, et cetera. And uh, she was a huge help. So try to use whatever resources I can when when assigned to some of the sports that I'm not necessarily as familiar with. Well, they might come in. They might come in handy. And that this sort of leads me to sort of the uh, sort of uh, uh, the end sort of questions here on sort of the current state of sports and, and the future of it, but not just the broadcast part of it, but just, you know, money and expansions and, and frankly, new sports. I mean, the, there is a, a wealth of literally and figuratively money uh, that's being invested. It seems uh, there's, there seems to be a new league uh, or two or three in the realm of volleyball. I think they're going to be three or maybe four, even that I've heard rumored. Uh, I can see a merger or two already uh, on the horizon, Vo professional volleyball leagues. And in the 70s, one of the decades we love to obsess about on this show, I mean, there's probably the last real uh, burgeoning decade of challenger leagues and stuff in traditional sports and launching of pro leagues in sports that had never had one before, like the International Volleyball Association. I digress. Um, I, I guess the question in there is, from your vantage point, I mean, you may be sort of insulated a little bit in that you're you're broadcasting the game and the mechanics of television, that kind of stuff. Um, but I, do you wonder, do you worry uh, about where professional sports kind of is right now? I mean, you're talking about like stadiums now that are a billion dollars plus, right? And and local uh, governments uh, being, you know, threatened, if you will, for to to move and and that kind of stuff. You've got. Um, uh, you know, franchise valuations and the multi-billions of dollars. You've got international money coming in. And I, I, I don't know. It feels like it's the best of times, but potentially there's some some worrisome things attached to that too, because I I but the NFL has never has never been bigger than it currently is, right? But I it's just the average fan, for example, you wonder just how affordable. Uh, just to, to, to take a family of four out to a baseball game is it, it's just I can't imagine this uh, uh, major increase in prices and this uh, uh, unfettered investment is necessarily going to continue to go up, up, up forever. I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just waxing nostalgic here. But do, do you see any, shall we say, cracks in the pro sports game these days? Or am I kind of just imagining that? No, from a TV and broadcast standpoint, I don't think so. Uh, sometimes I do wonder how uh, a family of four uh, can't afford to to go to sporting events on a regular basis. But uh, from a television standpoint, you know, to me, sports, live sports are the best reality TV. Uh, you look at the NFL last season, 82 of the top 100 television shows on U.S. networks were NFL games. So uh, I, I think I think uh, the NFL is doing just fine. And uh as far as from a broadcast aspect, um, we see the rights deals in the various leagues. 
I know the NBA is in the middle of their negotiations. Uh, hockey's tied up for five more years. Football, obviously, long term. So I think from that aspect, uh, it, it's it's very healthy moving forward. We've seen streaming with Amazon coming in with the NFL and rumors about other streaming services. So um, again, in my mind, sports is the best reality TV. And um, I'm just very fortunate to be able to call games in, in the various sports and for multiple networks. And I uh, hope that never changes. Yeah, and, and I guess that's my sort of my last question. And obviously, Fox has uh, as a business, right? Um, over the last number of years, you know, they sold the studios to Disney, and and they they doubled down on live sports and news. Um, and it's looking pretty smart, right? Given that you what you just said, right? Live sports in particular uh, is probably uh, the most must see TV out there in a, a slew of things that are available at a button's push on command and on demand and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what do you think thus far of taking, taking yourself out of the Fox uh, realm for a minute and the, the Turner realm for a second? What, what Do you notice any as either as a fan or as a professional or both the difference between broadcasting and streaming environments versus over the air and broadcast, or is there really no, no difference? Cause um, it, it's, it's clearly moving more towards, uh, streaming first in a lot of different respects. Um, I wonder if that has an effect on perhaps how you ultimately may wind up calling these games over time or maybe doing supplemental content and that kind of stuff. Right. Not really. I haven't noticed a difference yet from a broadcast standpoint, uh, from, from our vantage point. Um, it's just a matter of where the games are being broadcast. Are they on uh, one of the networks, cable TV or on a streaming uh, service in many cases they're on both uh, uh, the network and and a streaming service but fans are able to get their games in so many different fashions these days as you know uh, back when we were growing up we had seven channels in the New York area two four five seven nine eleven and thirteen and then with the advent of cable TV and then satellite direct TV and these days the younger generation uh, they they don't even know what that's like having to use a remote control or going up and changing the channel on the actual TV set in your bedroom or in your living room. Now, whatever your device is, an iPhone, a computer, an iPad, uh, you can access pretty much any game and any sport live or highlights uh, with a quick click. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of technology and the advances that we've seen over the last 20 or 30 years. And um, it will continue uh, for many, many years to come, I'm sure. All right, time to promote. Uh, the book has been out for a couple of months now, right? Um, uh, name and and where people can get it, and how much have you? Um, I guess you've been doing a, everything you can to to promote the heck out of it. If you're doing a podcast as silly as this one, well, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, Tim. It officially comes out to the public next week, October 10th. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. I'm sorry. I thought it was already out. How about that? I'm glad. Okay, yeah. cool. Oh, no, it's out next week. Um, I've had. Personal copies for the last month or so had a couple of private events. So it is out there in, in, in small doses to this point, uh, friends and family and some others have copies of it and, and folks who attended the two or three events that I've already been a part of, but it's a Mike for all seasons triumph books. You could find it online pre-order uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon target, et cetera, triumph books website. Uh, it was a lot of fun forwards by Walt Clyde Frazier and Wayne Gretzky. So uh, hopefully some of the listeners will uh, pick it up and I know you've seen a copy of it. So thanks for the help in promoting it, but it officially uh, will be released to the public October 10th. 
All right. Last but not least, uh, do you actually remember the theme song of the Baltimore Skip Jackson? Can you hum a few bars before we go? Not a good hummer, but um, <laughs> or singer, but uh, there's a story in the book about a game in which the Skipjacks scored nine goals in the first period. So the, the Skipjacks fight song sounded like it was on a loop. And it started with, uh, when you Baltimore Skipjacks, when you Skipjacks of Baltimore. And then it went on and on. And I do uh, have the lyrics in the book. But uh, that was a memorable game. Nine goal first period against Hershey and uh, nine different times hearing the Baltimore Skipjacks fight song. Well, and that was your first game, right? It was the first month. It wasn't the first game. My first game wasn't Hershey, but that was a different game against the Bears. This was a home game later in the month of October 1990. Well, I've been searching for that for uh, for uh, production for this. Uh, I, the Clippers, I know, the team that was there before the Skipjacks. Uh, right. They had a similar this- fight song, but they just substituted the name Skipjacks instead of Clippers. There you go. Mystery solved. I should have known that. Kenny, thank you for making time for us. I, I know you've got a ridiculously busy schedule and stuff, and uh, I wish you nothing but the success uh, uh, going forward and uh, healthy vocal cords and uh, and uh, b- plenty of good sports moments yet to go. I mean, you, for all the stuff that you have done in your past, you are still a relatively young guy in this business. And, I, you know, I think you could go on forever if you, uh, if you really want to put your mind to it. Uh, I don't know how much energy you still have to pursue all of those uh years ahead but um it's great to hear and see your enthusiasm for all of it and i i think for for all fans out there i think you are probably the consummate professional the fact that you are so um uh, not only ubiquitous but so um uh, versatile in in all these different sports and stuff it, it really is a testament to your preparation and skill and all that kind of stuff and uh, you know god bless many many more years to come i hope thanks tim i really appreciate it thanks for having me on All right. Our thanks to Kenny. And uh, not only can you hear him just about everywhere you watch a sporting event, especially on Fox or in the New York City area and local sports, uh, but also the book must get, must read, enjoyable read. uh, And uh, you will uh, find it immensely entertaining. It is called, again, a mic for all seasons. My three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB and Olympics by the one, the only, Kenny Albert. Forwards by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier and a whole bunch of other folks have weighed in with their praise for this book. You will enjoy it and you can get it now. Well, if it's on the 9th of October when we drop this episode, uh, it is available tomorrow on the 10th. So pre-order it. If it's uh, the 10th or beyond when you're listening to this show, you can get it right now. Either way, uh, by all means, figure out a way to get it. Any good bookseller will have it. Uh, but of course, you can go to our website at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com, search up this episode number 320 with our new pal, Kenny Albert, and you will find a convenient link or two or three uh, to Amazon, and you can get the hardcover or the Kindle version, uh, and we will get a couple of referral shekels of love, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, and while you're on the website at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com, just search up all of our episodes. We've got them all there for you to, to uh play around with, listen, download, stream them, whatever you want to do, send them to friends. Uh, of course, the best way to ingest the goodness that we try to give for you, uh, to you each week uh, is to uh, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast player, catcher, app, whatever it might be. A couple of uh, five-star reviews once in a while when you get the chance. We appreciate that too. Uh, and uh, while you're uh, tooling around online and on a mobile, um, why don't you follow us as well. We're on Twitter. We're at Good Seats Still. 
Uh, on Instagram, you'll find us at Good Seats Still Available. And on Facebook, you'll find us at Good Seats Still Available as well. On the uh, Twitter slash X, you'll also find Kenny Albert at, conveniently, at Kenny Albert. All one word. Pretty easy to do, right? Uh, if you'd like to send us some email, you can do that too. We're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. We appreciate your cards and letters virtually, of course. And uh, what else? The great Jerry Payne has uh, once again come through, even though his Atlanta Braves uh, have yet to prove anything in the playoffs uh, of any substance. We'll see how the series goes, uh, but good luck to him and the Braves. Why not? Uh, they're uh, a force to be reckoned with, and uh, that series with the Phillies is only going to get more intense in the days ahead. Uh, and, of course, thank you to y- you. You you know who you are, you listeners out there, you, you crazy kids. Thanks for uh, supporting us and uh, keeping us going each and every week. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy what we've got in the weeks ahead. Lots of good stuff, lots of great guests and wonderful topics. Until next week, we'll see you. And uh, please, as always, take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you soon. When you Baltimore Clippers. Win you Clippers from Baltimore. Fight you Baltimore Clippers. Face off, fight for a Baltimore score. Defense men, forwards, and goalie. We'll win without a doubt. For Baltimore and Maryland, every Clipper fan will shout. Fight, fight, fight. Win you Baltimore Clippers. From Baltimore, fight you, Baltimore Clippers, and score, score, score. Baltimore Clippers and score.